Hey, everybody, you're listening to Beyond 1894. This is the official podcast of Louisiana Tech University. I am Gavin Kelly from the Office of University Communications, and our guest for this episode is Mr. Wes Cavan. He is the Director of Student Activities here at Louisiana Tech, which means he's, in a way, involved in every student organization on campus. Wes, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Um, So we're going to get to what you do as director of student activities, but we're going to go back a little bit first and talk about how you got into that position um, and kind of what led you even into this, this point in your career. Because I think um, when you think about how degrees or something like that may line up with certain careers, it's not director of student activities feels like sort of an amalgamation of different things. So kind of talk about where you're from, how you got here and what sort of led to where you are now. Yeah, that's a, a great, great question. Trying to think about how to condense the journey a little bit. So uh, I am a Tech alum uh, twice now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came to Tech from Vidalia, Louisiana. Uh, my uncle was the only other person in my immediate family that um, that had gone to college. I say immediate because I, I do come from a little bit of a of a of a rough background. I would say. Sure. Um, was I grew up in poverty mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, my mother uh, had me when she was 16 years old. Wow. Okay. And uh, I did not know my dad until I was 25 years old, you know, so I didn't have the traditional kind of family background. Uh, and so I, I extend a little bit because my grandparents were very instrumental in raising me. So while they weren't directly in my home, I would consider my younger uncle to be very much part of my immediate family. And For he sure. was the only one in my immediate family uh, who went to college and he went to tech. And so I got to be around Louisiana Tech at a very young age. I was here uh, even through like my seventh and eighth grade year. I would come to Louisiana Tech. He lived in Hutchison Dorm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was not necessarily the athlete's dorm then. It became that a little bit later. But, uh, you know, I remember camping out on his floor in wow. Hutchison Dorm as, you know, an eighth grader. And he would take me to play racquetball uh, in the Lambright. And um, I got to go to concerts. You know, I went, I'll never forget, I got to go see Nickelback in the TAC. <laughs> and uh, it was the biggest concert that uh, I think Tech has probably had since I've been around. Yeah, maybe so. Um, you know, it was actually very packed. Uh, I got to see Alien Ant Farm. I got to see a lot of really cool concerts. The Alien Ant Farm was actually in the student center in the Tonk. Uh, and so it was a unique con- concert experience. But I got to be exposed to Louisiana Tech from a very young age. Uh, and so those were some of the most fond things that I, I had to experience as a kid, getting away from Vidalia and getting to come in and experience Rustin. Rustin was massive to me, even sure, even yeah. before it has expanded the way that it has now. It was massive to me, and so I love my parents. I don't want to come across as you know, you know, acting as if I didn't love my mom and my stepdad, and my sister. I, they were wonderful people, but we didn't have a whole lot, man. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, short of my uncle uh, coming to Tech, I, I don't know that I would have come to Tech. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I would have been in college. To be honest, I was with about you. to say, was college always in the plans for I you? I mean, it was because of my uncle. Like yeah. it was, it was just kind of you know, I'm gonna go to college because I want to make my uncle proud. And, um, you know, so I, I was an average student. I loved to play sports, but, you know, I didn't have the size. I didn't have the speed. Um, and so, you know, I played football, a little bit of baseball in high school, but that was, you know, that was over and done with pretty quick. At 16, I had to go work. Like I had to go and I took my first job as a 16-year-old as soon as I got my driver's license. So a lot of those things became, they got put on the back burner because mm-hmm. I, I needed to provide for, for myself more than anything. My parents really couldn't provide for me was able to take advantage of Pell Grants and student loans and all of those things. I had a small top strand. I was not the best ACT performer, so but I did have I did have tops qualifications. Uh, and so when I came to tech, I lived in Nielsen Dorm. 
uh, which was the 11-story high-rise that was still here at the time, right next to Carruthers. And so 2005 is when I came to Tech. And, you know, in August of 2005, Hurricane Katrina hit. Yeah. And so my first experience to college life as a student was when Tulane lived in Carruthers' dorm right mm-hmm. next door to me. And so uh, that was kind of unique in and of itself. And uh, but, man, you know, I loved Louisiana Tech right off the get go. Um, and I wasn't really super involved my freshman year. Um, what I, degree were you pursuing when you got so here? So when I first got here, I was a math education major. Okay. And uh, very quickly, I got to doing, you know, six-page math homework problems. <laughs> and I said, I don't know if I really want to do this for fair, the rest of my life. Fair. So I switched to um, kinesiology for a little bit. And uh, kinesiology just – it wasn't really my thing. It, mm-hmm. it was I didn't see myself pursuing that. But I, I was still thinking I might go into teaching and maybe – coach i wanted to coach uh and i still there's a big part of me that has a desire to coach i love coaching young folks and i love being around sports uh, and that's kind of what i thought that i might would do is uh coach you know and, and teach in some capacity that didn't really work out uh just it just wasn't my thing honestly i didn't enjoy the curriculum and so i went to gis I thought that GIS might be something that I wanted to do. I'd never taken an online class in my life, and the very first introduction class was an online class. And it was before, you know, online was really a thing, you know. And I wasn't prepared for that. It was the only class in my life to this day that I've ever failed. And very quickly, I said, if I can't pass the first class, then I'm getting out of this. Right. And so I went undecided for a little bit. And then uh, really and truly, I opened the catalog and just said, which – you know, degree field can I go into? Which major can I select that is going to not have me lose too many credits? That is going to still allow me to graduate mm-hmm. in a timely fashion. Um, and so I went business management, and that's ultimately what I graduated in was business management. And so you asked how I've gotten to this role. That's an interesting journey, you know. And I think that it was important to provide some of that backstory. Is why I give you a little bit of the upbringing there. I agree, and I also think real quick that it's you're sort of like bouncing around through majors and then finding something and locking into it is sort of a testament to the idea that it's better to do that than to spend your time powering through a major that you know is not something that you want to stick with and do. So I think, you know, it's a hard decision for a lot of people to make, but it's usually the right decision. So yeah, just to your point, you know, well, so after my uh, freshman year, I went through the RA class. I, my uncle had, again, he said, man, you know what a job you ought to do on campus would be fun is, is being an RA. And so I said, you know what? I'll, I'll look into that. I like living in the dorms. I Like, I would recommend strongly. I, the apartments are very nice. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. I lived in Nielsen Dorm in the last years of Nielsen Dorm when it was in desperate na- need of some repair. But I loved living in the dorms. I, I was telling, you know, someone just the other day, having in my FY class, actually, I was telling them, man, having a floor of 40 guys that I got to do life with, you know, I, I knew a lot of those guys. We became friends. We had pride in the floor that we lived in. We played intramurals as kind of our floor, mm-hmm. you know, and there became dorm rivalries like it was Nielsen versus Graham dorm in the intramurals, you know, and so we had a lot of fun with that. And uh, I went through the RA class and I didn't get selected the first time that interviews open, but I did get selected to uh, start as an RA in the fall quarter of that uh, next year of my sophomore year. And uh, David Smith was my coordinator and uh, David had worked here for a little while already. And and David became a very strong mentor to me. And, uh, you know, I, I, I assume it's okay for me to talk kind of personally about, you know, my faith and things. I don't, sure. you know, I don't want to infringe on anybody's beliefs, but I'm a Christian man. And David Smith has a big role in playing in, in that. And, uh, you know, David mentored me in a way that was just really special. And, um, 
we got to do a lot of cool things in, in the res halls, and uh, David left shortly after that, and I, I got to interact with Miss Melanie Peel, who became the director of mm-hmm. housing. Mm-hmm. And Melanie Peel invested a lot in me, and, and she was always a mentor to me. And uh, became senior RA pretty quickly, and so I got to uh, – actually, they, they made exceptions for the requirements you had to have so that I could be senior RA. And so now I got to, you know, I got to direct the intramural program for the RA, you know, the, in our res halls. And I got to uh, get involved in some programming. And so I really enjoyed being an RA. I got, you know, about a year and a half in and decided I needed to move off campus. And uh, I started working in the summertime at MedCamps, Louisiana, at, over in uh, Shudrin. And um, so when I came back after the first summer, it, it just kind of started to seem like maybe I needed to move off campus and, and kind of get away from just being here. And, and I wanted to live off. And, and anyway, so shortly after MedCamps came to me and the direct the camp director at the time was getting ready to leave. And he said, hey, when you graduate, we want to make you the next camp director. And I said, OK, a job waiting for me outside of school. And so by this time, it's 2008. Mm-hmm. We're going through a huge recession. Yeah. And I've got someone who's offering me a job right out of college. And so it was a no brainer. Golden was, ticket. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're going to do this. So I go and I work at MedCamps. And uh, shortly after, I'd say a couple of years after I was working at MedCamps, Caleb Sr. is the executive director. And I, uh, we started trying to partner with the university, with the uh, School of Design. Mm-hmm. And I uh, worked with Brad Deal and Robert Brooks to come out and, and kind of, we had the vision for the first project that the uh, 335 architecture class right. would do at MedCamps. And, uh, and it was a pavilion. And so we had been going through a, a little, you know, partnership with the Presbyterian of the Pines that had owned that property. And, uh, so the idea kind of, you know, not, not that I stemmed the idea. It was the partnership with all of us involved, but the idea was really, Hey, let's put this thing, something here at the very beginning of camp that is going to be something that the Presbyterian of the Pines folks are, are proud of mm-hmm. and that they're going to have benefit from as well. That's not just going to impact the camp you know, in the, in the activities that we do out there. And so that was the very first uh, project that we did. Wow. And so that partnership um, has bared a lot of fruit. Yeah, since then it too, absolutely yeah. has. And so, but at the time I had, uh, I was kind of in a place where I was like, man, I'm not making a ton of money. And I'd started to have children. My wife and I had two children at, or we had one and one on the way and happened to be going to see, uh, Tim Tebow had a performance at, um, OCS and Tim Tebow is one of my favorite athletes. And so I was like, man, I want to go watch that. And I was just to a place where I didn't want to know what I was doing with my life. I was still fairly young, uh, 27, 28 years old at the time. And I was like, man, I don't know if this is where I'm going to spend the rest of my life. And my wife happened to open up Facebook and the director of the alumni association position was open where Ryan Richard was moving to Dr. Geis had just become president like the Uh year before. And Ryan had moved in to replace Reggie Hanchi. And so that position had come open and, and my wife reads it. And right off the bat, I was like, Lindsay, I, I can't go be the director of the alumni association. I'm not qualified for that. And she reads the the job description. I said, "Read that again to me." That's almost exactly what I'm doing here at Medcamp. Right. Like now, I, I would get to represent my alma mater though, and do kind of what I'm doing here in something that I really, really love. Something that is a, that holds a very deep place in my heart. What's the worst that could happen? Let me yeah. try. You know, and that was the thing. I've never, I've never been the type of guy 
that wanted to leave an opportunity to just go do something else. Like I could go make money, probably hand over fist somewhere else. That's never been what it's been about for me. Obviously, I have a family. I need to provide for my family. But it was an opportunity to serve my alma mater. And so I applied. I got the interview. I got to meet Corey Stegall. I got to meet Jennifer Riley. I got to meet, you know, just a whole slew of people. And, uh, man, I went to that interview, and I knew that I'd nailed it. And I've always felt like I was really good in interviews uh, for jobs, and so I knew I'd nailed it. Well, I didn't get a call for like a week, and then I was getting ready, like the first week of MedCamp starting for the summer, which, you know, at MedCamps, it's a lot different than, than it is here. You've got two months where it's rigorous, and you're going full speed ahead, and then 10 months of nothing. Kind of the opposite of uh, right. how it is. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so I'm getting ready to start summer camp. Like I'm in the middle of training week for our staff. We've got campers coming the next week. And I get the offer letter from Ms. Corey uh, that, that they were going to make me uh, the alumni association director. And so, you know, I had to go and have a conversation. Hey, Caleb, sorry, man, but I'm, <laughs> I just got a job offer that I cannot right. turn down. And he was completely understanding of that. And uh, so, I, my intro to tech was as the director of the Alumni Association. And uh, shortly after that, about a year into that position, year and a half, uh, Corey Stegall retires. And I'm like, well, doggone. Now I'm, you know, leaderless. But that was actually a time where I felt like I thrived um, mm. because I felt like I, I was a little bit more free to really make some decisions. Not that Miss Corey micromanaged me. She was wonderful. Hands down, still one of, if not the best bosses. I've, I don't know. I've got a pretty good boss now. But <laughs> Corey Stegall is wonderful and and really really gave me so much wisdom you know you work in athletics you work in the alumni center the message boards light up anytime you don't do anything right and miss Corey gave me just great wisdom to say look you just keep plugging along and doing your job don't look at the message boards if there's something that we really need to give attention to we're going to give attention to that and so she just did such a good job of, of alleviating the stress that can sometimes come with those uh types of things and so she retired, and there is a part of me, I'm like, well, dang, man, I really enjoyed working with her. Uh, at the time, we were getting ready to have our third child, and um, so we get you know, a lot of transition through that time frame, and uh, it, we got a new vice president, and we went through some time, uh, and honestly, I, I thought that my time was coming to an end, if I'm just being very transparent. There was the new leadership wanted to go in different directions that you know, just didn't seem like I fit in that that puzzle piece you know, or in that puzzle as, as a piece of the the team um, but he was gracious to me and he was going to let me continue to learn and develop and then lo and behold student advancement had some transitions happening they were doing some reshuffling of of their makeup and uh, dr king calls me randomly and uh says hey we've got this position coming up director of student activities we're going to move dr morales over to dual enrollment You've got a lot of experience with this. You've got a lot of experience when you were an RA in student advancement. Um, is this something you'd be interested in? And it was honest to goodness, Gavin. And this is where the faith part comes in, just different people who have been in my role. I can't tell you how many times I prayed for God to work out an opportunity for me to continue to be here and make an impact. And I felt like God answered that call in, in a just a very clear way. It was without hesitation. It was, yes, this is this is where I feel like God is leading me. And so uh, it was honestly a God thing that put me into this role uh, to be the director of student activities. And man, it has not always been easy, but it has always been rewarding. It has been one of the most rewarding things. I've learned more about, you know, just how to lead people. I've learned more about how to be understanding and how to be receptive to different ideas than I ever thought that I would 
you know, even needed to have experience in that, you know? And so it was just a really, really, it's been an awesome roller coaster ride, but it has been one that I'm so thankful for. So that's kind of how I got here. And yeah, you know, I love Louisiana tech. I think part of your question was, uh, why am I doing this still? Maybe, um, man, I love this place. This, this place I owe so much to, uh, to, to take me out of, you know, what I grew up in and for me to provide an opportunity for my family to, it's a generational change type of thing that has happened as a result of this place. Um, you know, my children, now I will say this, they struggle to interact with kids their own age because they interact with college kids more. Right. Um, but you know, my wife also worked at tech for a little bit too. And so another kind of unique thing about our time here is our four children lived in uh, the newer apartments across from Carson Taylor. They've changed names. It's either Potts or Richardson now. Um, but we lived in them when they were Aswell Suites B. So an 800-square-foot apartment, my wife and I and our four children lived yeah. in that wow. apartment. You know, we lived in Harper before it was knocked down. And so my kids have have – this has been their home. Literally, we have brought two children home from the hospital – to Louisiana wow. Tech to live here, you know, and so that is, it's just something. I don't know that, if anyone else could probably claim that. So yeah, wow. <laughs> yep. So it's just it's deeply rooted in our family, man. This place has been so special to us, and so um, seeing what our students are capable of, and just being a part of their uh, their journey, their professional journey, their character journey, uh, man, that's something that uh, there's not a day that I go to work that is the same, and there's not a day where I don't get to have some sort of impact um, with students. Now, some days it's harder to see that impact, but then you'll have a student that comes up and tells you, you know, something that's like, wow, like, dude, you're really important to these people. And, and that's, that's just a very special place to work. And, and, and I'm glad that, um, I'm glad that God positioned it in a way that, that I've been able to do this. Well, it definitely takes a sort of special and dedicated person, I think, to be able to kind of have oversight of the student activities that we have on campus, student organizations and things like that. Let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. How many student organizations do we have? It fluctuates somewhere between 150 and 200. And so quite a bit. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Yeah. Um, so how are you integrated into sort of the processes of our student organizations and, and how do you guide them along as they go throughout the year? Because you're continuously interacting with students and in the sense of a student organization, there's always leadership changes. There's always sort of personnel changes within those organizations. Sure. There's always new ones that crop up, you know, things change, trends change, you know, things get set up. So how do you manage yourself through all that? And what do you do for these students? Yeah. So uh, my, my part is really administrative oversight of, of getting them actually recognized and making sure that they complete the paperwork every year that lets them to be a recognized student organization. All of our student organizations have a staff advisor. Um, unfortunately, we, we don't have a lot of training tools for those advisors. It's something that several colleagues of mine and, and, and myself have tried to, you know, identify what specific things we need to equip our student organization advisors to, to help our students because it's a volunteer job for all of them. Yeah. This is not something that we're paying people extra to be an advisor. You only get people who are willing to go above and beyond to serve in those roles. And so a lot of times you get advisors that, that become paper advisors. Unfortunately, you get advisors who, um, 
you know, just are not really equipped to know what to do. Uh, and sometimes, you know, just, just training and policies, everybody's busy. They're pulled mm-hmm. about a million different ways. So some of those things just have a tendency to fall through the cracks. So where my role comes in is just helping the student leaders. It's one more touch point, one more resource that they have to be able to come in, you know, if it's, you know, learning how to fill out a facility reservation or if it's learning how, you know, as we talked about recently, if it's, you know, filling out how to send an email and, and mm-hmm. what alternate forms of communication that you can send. But then there are times where, you know, you have student leaders that come in and they're at an intersection with a member of their own. You know, maybe it's the president or the vice president or someone who's at an intersection with a member that has created some controversy in their organization. And they're genuinely looking for advice. Like, how do we navigate this? And so utilizing their constitution to try to, you know, have a more parliamentary process to, to handle that. But that's where you know, I guess the rubber meets the road, so to speak, like where you have to start leaning in and and build character and develop professionalism and skills that, that are going to be utilized whenever they go out into the professional workspace. I've said this to every parent that I've interacted with that comes through orientation. You could go anywhere for a college experience. Now, some universities are going to have programs that are better than others, but what I think makes Louisiana Tech more um, enticing and and more special than a lot of the other universities. And I know that I'm biased when I say this, but it's, you know, the fact that you're going to get an extra, um, you're just going to get more intentionality. You're going to get more authenticity. You're going to have more opportunities to interact with faculty and staff. And I feel like you've got so many people that work here that genuinely care for the well-being of our students. And so that's what I try to offer in those moments. And, you know, to just give them, you know, guidelines that are, are sometimes it's not even guidelines. Sometimes it's just personal advice. Hey, here's how I might would handle this situation, um, you know, but within the confines of our policies and, and kind of what we represent you know, embodying the tenets of tech, you know, we mm-hmm. want to have um, students who who understand, you know, how to handle those things in the right way. And so there's a lot of opportunities that I have to to just meet with our students to talk about different conflicts that they have and, and trying to help them. There's a leadership component. We've had several colleagues that have tried to go through, uh, you know, kind of what we do with the Louisiana Tech Leadership Institute. We tried to institute that uh, with our students as well. And so we call it the Student Leadership Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we worked with, you know, the um, – College of Education and the uh, doctor of, of the psychology department, uh, Dr. DeSales. I, I know I'm butchering the name of the department, but Dr. DeSales and her group to develop something that helped doctorate students as they were preparing their dissertation and, and getting data and stuff uh, that was going to be helpful to them to understand leadership specifically. And so we had programs that, that we would work through and, and just teaching our student leaders how to be more effective leaders and identifying, you know, what a leader looks looks like and you know what characteristics leaders have you know and so that's part of what I do um you know and then really I'm kind of one of those employees I think that becomes a jack of all trades so I get almost everything else that other people don't want to really fool right. with you know so that kind of falls on me a lot of times as well um but you know this is it's a really important part I really feel like our student organizations provide an experience uh, outside of the classroom that enhances what our students need to be really successful professionally, the soft skills that they need. That's where I think Louisiana Tech is very special is I think we equip our students to go out and be uh, the very best professionals in, in the workspace. I think we just set our students apart in that manner. And I think student organizations is a really, really unique way to teach them the skills that they need to do that. 
Yeah, it's all there, an emphasis from day one is placed on students to get involved because it the transformation that it, it can have on these students is far and away beyond what you expect when you're a student. You step on campus, you know, you hear get involved, get involved, get involved. It right. could change your life, and then you just think maybe I'll do it, you know. Yeah, and then it does, and so you know it, that can't be stressed enough. I think going off the back of that, I got one more question for you, and it might be a two parter. Um, since you've been in this position. How have you seen sort of the student activity sector grow and kind of do you have kind of hopes for it moving forward and what sort of changes you might like to see? Yeah, um, it definitely has grown, um, you know, just sheerly in, in the number of organizations that we have. It's not very difficult to start a student organization right. here, you know, um, and that is another thing that I tell all the parents. I, I, for whatever strange reason, I only interact with the parents during orientation, uh, you know, and Elton and I are working out opportunities to to have more student interaction through that. But, um, you know, I've, I've communicated to the parents and FYE students and things like that. Um, if we don't have an organization that fits your interests right now, it literally takes 10 students. Yeah, start that, it. That's start it. it up. Yeah. You know, a faculty advisor uh, or a staff member to serve as your advisor, I can help you with the Constitution. It's very easy to put a Constitution together. Let's, let's make it happen. And so I think, you know, helping them through that process has— And being open to, the, to that influx of organizations. Yeah, no doubt about too, it, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, you know, we want to we, we definitely want to create an inclusive environment. And so there have been times where we just weren't meeting certain needs to, to, you know, serve every student at this campus. And so having a chance to interact with those students and saying, hey, a student organization development might be a really unique way to, to continue to serve those students. And so we have had a just by sheer numbers, we've had an influx of student organizations. So we've grown from that standpoint. Um, I think we've also grown. Just I, listen, my my character and the culture that I build in student activities, we do some glamour stuff like I oversee SGA and, you know, they're involved with homecoming and homecoming right, is right, always right. a very glamorous type of a type of engagement opportunity. Sure. My culture in student activities is is being a workhorse. It's to do the work, to roll your sleeves up and, and to not have to be in the spotlight to serve students. That's that's what I'm looking for within student activities is people who are willing to serve others, who are willing to love others, who are willing to show empathy. Uh, I, I probably say the word empathy to my students about a billion times a year because I want them to think about the struggles that every student are going through. I want them to take themselves out of the equation and, and to recognize what you know areas of privilege that, that maybe they have to be in the roles that they have, um, how they got to those spaces, and to recognize not everybody's experience was that way. And we need to go out and serve all of our students when we're planning planning events and union board, you know, thinking about, hey, let's put the work in and let's plan really good events that are going to be appealing to all students, not just a very specific demographic. And I think that that culture of just being willing to roll your sleeves up and do the grunt work and not have to be in the spotlight, um, I think that has has proven to to be a, a culture that invites other people to be a part of it because they they know that if they give us a chance, it's not to say that we're perfect. We're, we're still going to make mistakes once in a while, and mm-hmm. we're still going to have people. We are dealing with, you know, students who, uh, you know, the SGA president is always going to be someone who has pretty high ambitions and, and you know, course, yeah. wants to be in the spotlight. And they're going to have their time in the spotlight. Um, but for the most part, I think as students see the culture that we've built, they, they feel more um, invited to attend and to participate in it. Uh, I think that, you know, 
while there's still so much work to be done to to make everyone uh, feel like they have a seat at the table, um, we continuously work towards that. And I think that is where we've seen a lot of growth is just in trying to be more inclusive. That is something that we we are going to continue to have to work towards daily. I'm not naive. We need to do things, and we are consistently every year trying to do things to make homecoming a more inclusive experience for everyone. Um, you know, our events, as I talked about, we want to make those more inclusive for everyone. Uh, so identifying programs that that are inviting to people of all different demographics, um, I think that is one way that we've grown quite a bit. Um, and I think it's also invited different types of students to be in, involved in some of the bigger organizations that that we have on campus. Like SGA Union Board are two of the most diverse organizations that we have on our yeah. campus. And I, you know, not to say that it's not that that suddenly I came in and poof, we had some magic, you know, equation to make that happen. But it just feels like it every year it's more diverse. You have so many students that are just from completely different backgrounds, whether it's education or whatever demographic you want to measure, um, you know, it, it's really cool to be a part of that. And so I think that's a really special way that we've grown. Um, and then I can't remember the second part of the question. Yeah, where moving, would I like move, to see it go? Yeah, moving forward. Yeah. Uh, I think where I'd like to see it move forward is continuing to have that right. that inclusion. Like we, we always have to improve in that. We always have to make sure that we are we're you know, aware of what's happening across the country, but we're not going to let those things also plague us and make us stress out. We just want to do the right thing by people. That's what I hope that we will continue to grow is in in an area where we just serve more people, where we continue to, you know, make everyone um, realize that, that they, there are opportunities for them to be uh, engaged. Um, and so identifying more programs that are engaging to a wide range of students, uh, finding opportunities within SGA where, you know, students feel like they can come to our SGA and, and be served in a way that, that makes them feel like they're part of our campus yeah, community. You represented. Know? Yep. And so just, just more representation across campus. That's where I'd like to see us grow. Um, you know, and, and there's a lot of different ways that we could do that. Um, that we're continuously trying to work through. And so, you know, working with students, that provides a unique opportunity. It's not like I have just a, a wide staff. It's me right now by myself. Sometimes yeah. I have one other full-time staff member to help me do these things. Uh, so you're working with students, and students are, are, you know, they're coming in with their own biases, their own backgrounds, and things that they want to do and, and to carry out their ambition. And so, and their own schedule, you know, right, like just like they have their own day everything. job and yes. it's school. So, right. You know. And so, you don't want to stifle their ideas, but you do want to help them to kind of identify ways to be, um, you know, inclusive of everybody. And so, um, that's where I, I always seek for growth is, is just how can we check our own biases, check our own agendas and continue to seek to serve others in, in whatever way that looks like, you know, genuinely serve our student body. That's, that's how I want to continue to grow. Yeah. Well, your passion for it is very evident. Um, and I appreciate the work that you do here and I know it, it, it doesn't go unnoticed and I appreciate you taking the time to be here today, Wes. And, um, Moving forward, good luck. I know it's it's going to be a busy year. I feel like every year probably gets a little <laughs> bit busier than the last. But um, hang in there and, and keep doing what you do. Appreciate it. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me.
Thank you for listening to Beyond 1894. Please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about this episode, you can check out our show notes. Beyond 1894 is produced by Louisiana Tech University's Office of University Communications.